0: 5 John chapter 1 I don't know if any of you know who the picture is of on the screen. Uh, this is a picture of a man called Javier Sotomayor and he is the world record holder for the high jump. He jumped 2 meters 45 centimeters or that's just over 8 foot and he did that jump in 1993 which is a very long time for a world record to be held. Most world records get broken quite regularly, but the high jump world record is one that doesn't get broken very often at all because of this man doing a massive jump. One day, that world record may be broken, but for most of us, I would say in this room, if we were to go to an athletic stadium and try and do the high jump, we wouldn't get anywhere near his world record. Last week... Uh, We looked at the truth in 1 John of the word of life. About who Jesus is. That he is God in the flesh who dwelt among us. How John the Apostle uh, gazed at, he saw him, he touched him, he heard him. That the word of life is real and it's to be proclaimed. And we saw that it's to be proclaimed so that we can have fellowship with God and joy. But there's a problem Because the Bible also teaches that in order for us to have fellowship with God, there is a high uh, mark that must be met in order for us to have that fellowship. The Bible teaches that in order for us to have fellowship with God, we've got to be perfect. And you can see why the high jump is a good illustration here, because just like none of us really could match that world record, that world record may be broken. But nobody is able to meet God's standard for fellowship with him. Nobody is perfect. And in the passage we're going to read this morning, the word sin is mentioned nine times. What is sin? There are lots of words the Bible uses to describe sin, but the word here, sin, literally means missing the mark. If we were to go and try and do that high jump, I know I can speak for myself and I'm sure you would all say the same thing. I would miss that world record every single time. I could jump and jump and jump. I could try and try and try. For the rest of my life, I will never jump over eight feet in the high jump. Like everyone else has tried to do since 1993, we would miss. But one day that record may be beaten, but God's standard, perfection, will never be met. One of the problems we have in understanding sin is that we try and change what the mark is and make it our own. We think, okay, I can't meet that standard, so sin isn't really as bad as what the Bible makes it out to be. So some of us may say, well, if I aim to make the standard as being as good as other people, well then I don't sin really because I can be as good as some other people. And that brings that mark a little bit lower. So maybe some of you can jump it, if that's your standard. If you're aiming at perhaps your own standards of what is right and wrong, rather than God's standard, well maybe you can make that mark. Perhaps even if I tried to follow another set of rules and regulations, I could keep those, maybe. But again, I've lowered the mark. But the Bible tells us that we miss the mark of God's standard all the time. And in this passage, there's three different claims that we're going to see where people try and lower the bar, lower the mark, so that they can jump it and say that they can have fellowship with God. And John, in this passage, points out very clearly that we miss the mark and we need help. Because the Bible doesn't leave us with, well, you can never, that you can't make it you've had it that's it the Bible tells us that God has made a way and we'll see what that is as we go through the passage so let's read John chapter 1 and we're going to read from verse 5 down to the beginning of chapter 2 and verse 1 this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light in him there is no darkness at all If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' His son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. This is God's word. As John teaches in this passage, he teaches us the truth about sin. We see people here claiming that they could meet the standard by lying about sin. It's the equivalent of us going to the IAAF, which is the International uh, Association of of Athletics that set the world record standards and agree with them. It's like us going to them and saying, well, actually, I'm going to make this world record because I'm going to put the bar a lot lower and jump it, and then you can put my name on the world record. It's ridiculous, isn't it? And that's what people here are doing with sin. They were lowering the bar. And so John starts with the truth about sin, by telling us the truth about God. In verse 5, that God is light. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So God is the mark. God is the standard. And what is that? God is light. That's the message that John wants us to know. This is the message that he proclaims in those first few verses we read last week. The message is, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. We will never understand sin if we don't understand that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Light and darkness are used as metaphors often in the Bible and by John in particular in his epistles and in his, in his gospel. We read an a example of that earlier in our Bible reading in John chapter 3. But what does the Bible mean when it talks about light and darkness? Well, throughout the scripture, light is used in two main ways. And the first way is as revelation of truth. Revelation of truth. Light is used as a means of revealing something. Now, it's obvious, isn't it? If you go into a dark room and turn on the light, then you see what's in the room, for good or bad, depending, I guess, if you like spiders or not. If you turn the light on, you see what is in that dark room. And the Bible, which is the Word of God, is described in this way in the Psalms, for example. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. So God's word reveals how God wants us to live. But more than that, God's word reveals God himself. And this is seen most clearly in John's gospel in chapter 1. Where in that chapter, John writes this about Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus here is described as life. And last week we saw Jesus described in this very passage in chapter 1 as the word of life. And life here means life as it's supposed to be. Resurrection life. Eternal life. It's more than just the organs of our body keeping us alive. It's talking about a full and joyful life that's lived now and goes on into eternity. And so God reveals what true life really is and how to get it. Through the light of Jesus, the word of life. Life and light go together in the Bible, just like they do in the natural world. Without light, we wouldn't have a world. Everything would die. And in the spiritual life, without God living in us, the Bible describes us as dead. We need light in order to live. Psalm 36 verse 9 says, For with you is the fountain of life, in your light we see light. And Jesus himself described in John's Gospel, he said himself, I am the light of the world. He is the light that reveals God to us. So we see this light. We see Jesus as the light that reveals God to us and part of us wants to go to that light. We want to have fellowship with God. We want This joyful life sounds really good, doesn't it? I want to have life that's joyful and full and and what it's supposed to be. I want to have eternal life, yes. But then light also describes something else about God. Because the fact that God is light reveals the God who is light, what he is like. And we see that light, secondly, reveals purity or holiness. There are many places we could go for this. Uh, Psalm 104 verse 2 says the Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. In the Bible, people couldn't look directly at God because he was so bright. His light is, is so, so, so bright that people have to cover themselves. In Exodus 34, we, re- we read there about Moses wanting to see the glory of God and he had to hide in the cleft of a rock while God went by him because he couldn't look at God or he would die. Because of the holiness of God. And we read in Isaiah during the service that God is covered with angels, covering that glory because you can't look at it. And as they cry to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah sees this this holiness of God and he says, woe is me for I am undone. So God is holy, God is, is pure and in the New Testament, God is covered. He's covered in the flesh of Jesus. And again, from John's Gospel, we read earlier, Jesus said, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So in one sense, we want to we go to that light because we want that life, but we know as we go into the light, our deeds are exposed and we know that they are evil. Jesus is the light that has come into the world, but he's not universally accepted. Why? Because people love darkness. Because their deeds are evil. So we see here that that light and darkness talk of of purity and of evil. And if we come into the light, our deeds are exposed. And it says in this passage, in chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light, and in him There is no darkness at all. Notice the at all. It's a definite word. If light is truth and purity, then God is only truth and only purity. He's totally pure. Totally truth. And so there is no lies and no evil in God at all. He is absolutely unique. Now why is this important in understanding our sin? Because it's only when we see God In his absolute purity that we understand how far away we are from him and how we don't really want to go into that light for fear that our deeds would be exposed. Looking at God shows up our sin every single time. Which is why people love darkness rather than light. They don't want to look at God. They don't want to know God because it shows who they really are. And so we try to ignore it and hide it away we all have those drawers in our homes don't we when you come to my house it may look really tidy until you open up the drawers and all that mess is exposed it comes into the light and that's what happens when God shines his light upon us he opens us up and all of that filth is exposed when I used to live in Devon uh, we had a house on Dartmoor and it was a lovely house in that it was really light. And in the morning, I would look out, and I would have this wonderful view of the hills of Dartmoor. But if I went into the same room in my kitchen in the afternoon, something quite remarkable happened. I didn't like looking out the window. I didn't like looking at the views. Why? Because in the afternoon, the sun came down over that side of the house. And I had big windows. And the sun shone through the windows, and I could see the mess of those windows. You know when you drive the car, don't you? When all the bugs are splattered on the car and you're driving along and the sun shines through, you see all those bugs. Well, that was what my windows were like. And I tell you what, we cleaned those windows. We scrubbed them. We had window cleaners come around. My mum came and cleaned those windows. But whatever happened, in the afternoon, the sun shines through those windows and they were always dirty. No matter how much I tried to clean them. And that is exactly what our lives are like with God as he shines his glory into our lives. We can try our very hardest to clean ourselves up, but when God shines his light on you, it always shows up dirt, because dirt is always there. The Bible tells us that God is light. He is absolutely perfect. We can get nowhere near him, because the only way we can get near him is if we reach that standard of perfection. But When we see him, we know we cannot get there. And that's a problem because verse 3 of this passage, which we read last time, says that, that John proclaims the message so that, in verse 3, we may have fellowship with him, with, with, with John and the apostles, but ultimately we saw that that was with God. So it's confusing, isn't it? John says, I say this so that you can have fellowship with him, but the message is God is light. And so because God is light, you can't have fellowship with him. Well, what's going on here? Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, that God lives in unapproachable light. We can't get near him. So what is John doing? Well, John is sharing this so that we understand sin and understand we have a problem. And the good news of the gospel is, of course, something has been done to deal with that problem. Jesus has come. And as we'll look at Jesus... Uh, in this book, we see that Jesus is one that meets the mark every time. Because he is God. And he is holy. And he is perfect. But there's a problem, not just in that we can't reach the standard. The problem in this passage is that people were trying to deal with their sin problem in other ways. They were lying about sin, They were making false claims about sin and about themselves that made them think that they were acceptable to God. And so in verse 6 down to the end of this chapter, John deals with this problem by exposing the lies and explaining the truth about sin. As you go from verses 6 really down to chapter 2 and verse 2, we see three lies... Counted by three truths. They come in pairs. There's verses 6 and 7, verses 8 and 9, and verses uh, chapter 1, verse 10 to chapter 2, verse 2. And they all begin, these lies, with, if we claim. So when it says, if we claim, there is a lie that is about to be exposed by John. And each of these claims are false views of sin. But interestingly, each of them are not unique to this time where John is writing we make these same excuses today, these same claims about sin. And the first claim is in verse 6. Let's read that together. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. This claim is sin doesn't matter. Sin doesn't matter. These people claimed... They had fellowship with God. Now verses 1-4, to which we looked at last week, said that we have fellowship with God when we agree with what the apostles believed about Jesus, that he is the Son of God, he's God in the flesh. And so last week, at the end of the service, we read the Apostles' Creed together. We stood and all of us declared the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is the, the beliefs that the apostles had, that all Christians if we're Christians, would adhere to. John says that if we claim those things, that we believe the truth about, from the Scriptures about Jesus, but we walk in darkness, if we have high claims but low lives, he says we lie and do not live out the truth. Now the word walk here is a metaphor for lifestyle. So it's not a one-off thing. He's not saying, if you said the Apostles' Creed and... Uh, then you, you you fell into sin. He's not saying therefore that's it. You're, you're 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 a liar and you didn't really believe what you said. He's talking about lifestyle here. Walk is lifestyle. It isn't a one-off sin. It is walking in darkness. So these people claimed that they professed that they believed the truths about Christianity, that they were okay, and it, but because it, it, it didn't matter how you lived. Now, how many people today do this same thing? They, they sign up for a set of beliefs. They put their hand up to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I, I want to go to heaven, so therefore I'm okay, right? Well, John says, no, it's more than just professing with, with your lips that you believe what Christians believe. Throughout the Gospels, we're told of repentance, that is, turning away from sin and walking in a new life following Jesus. If there is no change in our life, if our lifestyle is not different to what it once was, then we cannot claim to be a Christian. That's what John says here. John says that walking in darkness means that we don't live out the truth. The truth is what we uh, proclaimed, but we're not living that out. We're walking in darkness. Christianity is not just an intellectual religion that we, we have a set of thoughts that we believe and say we agree with, and then don't do anything about it. Christianity is not that. It's a practical religion. Yes, we we say we believe in those things because they're true, but we live out the truth of what we believe. Christianity believes those truths, and they are lived out of our lives that have been changed. And notice how strong John is here. John, um, uh, he was w- with his brother, was called a son of thunder. And that was because he was a very uh, blunt man. And you see that throughout his letter. There's no beating around the bush with John. Here he says, if you say that you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, you lie. You lie. If you stood here at church, we can make it personal, and said last week that you believed in the Apostles' Creed. If you read it out loud and then you've gone through your week walking in darkness, John says, you have lied. And you do not the truth. There's no messing around here. This is serious, isn't it? You lie. If you say you believe and you do not live it out, you are a liar, according to John. Each of these claims is a lie. And all of them lie to different people. And this one lies to other people. When we stand and say things together, when we stand and sing together, we are, of course, saying to God those things. But we also are saying them to one another. And John says that we are lying to one another. If you stand up on a Sunday and say you believe these things and you sing these songs, and then throughout your week you walk in darkness. It's strong stuff. We lie to each other. So people come to your house and and you put on a show. And you love to talk about the Bible. And you love to talk about spiritual things when Christians are there, but when they go, you walk in darkness. You lie and do not the truth. After the service, you talk enthusiastically about Jesus and how wonderful Jesus is and how great the songs were and how great the message is, how great the Bible is. And then you go out and you walk in darkness. You've lied to everybody you've spoken to. And do not the truth. Lifestyle matters and and how often we can use enthusiasm about Jesus to mask the darkness that is our lives. John says you lie and do not the truth. Lifestyle matters. Sin matters. And if we claim we love Jesus, as we'll see later in the letter, we need to do what Jesus says. So what's the answer to this claim that sin doesn't matter? Well, we see the answer in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The answer to this claim is to walk in the light. Well, it sounds obvious, doesn't it? But remember what fellowship means. If we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Fellowship means having common values, common goals. And God hates sin. God is holy. And therefore, to have fellowship with God means we must also walk in purity of life. This means walking according to God's revelation, his word. This means walking openly and not hiding our sin. We can be very good at pretending we're perfect and sometimes you can look at other Christians and think, "Well, oh, do they even have sin? It's not hiding sin. Walking in the light says, says, yes, I sin. And we'll see how to deal with that in a moment. Walking in the light means sin is not easy. It's not easy to do. We don't sin easily because we're in the light of God. We know that it's an offence to God. It doesn't come easy to us. A true Christian is concerned about sin. They care how they live. Lifestyle matters. And if we walk in the light, what happens? John gives two consequences. First, we have fellowship with one another. It's interesting to note here that John does not say, first of all, we have fellowship with God. He says we have fellowship with one another as we walk in the light. Well, why does he do this? Well, I think it's for this reason... When we walk in the darkness, we're always trying to hide sin, and usually we hide it from each other first, before God. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first thing they did? They made coverings for themselves, and they hid from each other, didn't they? First of all, they realized they were naked, they were ashamed to see one another. The first consequence of that sin was that they saw each other's sin and shame, and they hid from one another. And then. They hid away from God. In John chapter uh, one, John chapter one, verse three. Last week we read that if you uh, they proclaim the message about Jesus, so that we can have fellowship with, with each other, with us, with the apostles. And so, how we relate to each other as Christians shows how we're relating to God. And so we have fellowship with one another as we walk in the light. Because we're not hiding from each other. I'm not saying we need to publicly come up and start openly saying all the things we've done wrong, but we must at at the very least not pretend that everything's okay all the time. That we never struggle, that we don't need prayer, that we don't need help. Because if we're hiding our sin, as if it's not there, and we're living in darkness, we don't have fellowship with one another. And partly because we don't have common goals and common values to bring glory to God. But some of you say, well, I want to walk in the light, but but I still sin. I still struggle with dark things. Well, there's a wonderful bit at the end of this verse, isn't there? John knows this. John doesn't pretend that we're perfect. In fact, he very clearly tells us we're not. But he says, and the blood of Jesus' Son purifies us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we walk in the light, we're not perfect. But neither do we try and hide our sin and carry on with it. We bring our sin to Jesus, who was answering, uh, who John here was answering the heretics of his day by saying he was a real man who died a real death as a substitute for real sinners. He died on the cross. People were claiming Jesus wasn't really God in the flesh. But John says no, he died, his blood, real blood, was shed for our sin. Now the blood here isn't something magical, Jesus shed real blood, but blood represents sacrifice, he gave his life to pay for our sin. And we see that later on in this, in the, in, in this passage, that Jesus has died in our place. He is a man, just like we are humans, and he died in the place of sinful men and women so that we could be forgiven. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. So we come into the light, the light of God. We see that glory of God. We see that we're sinners and we come to Jesus and we confess that we're sinners. We we don't hide it from God and he says the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. That word purify uh, means to remove the dirt. It takes the dirt away. And we know, don't we, when we're walking in darkness, when we've sinned, we feel dirty. We feel soiled. We feel disgusting. But as we come into the light, we don't need to fear the light, because we come into the light, our sin is exposed, but the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, purifies us from sin. It's a wonderful verse, isn't it? We have this this punch in verse six that you know if you, you lie if you say that you do not sin. But here in verse Oh, if you walk in darkness, sorry, you, and, and say that you have fellowship with him. You lie, but here in verse 7, but we come under Jesus' blood and we're forgiven of sin. And do you realise how liberating it is to walk in the light? Walking in darkness it is carrying a burden around with us. Because it's, a, it's hard work trying to be a fake all the time. It's hard work. It's not easy to pretend you're someone you're not. It's not easy to claim you believe all these things and maintain enthusiasm for Jesus when you're trying to hide your sin. But as you come into the light, it's liberating because you know that that sin is cleansed and you can be purified and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin and we walk in the light. Lying is exhausting to keep up all the time. And that's why the Bible describes walking in darkness as slavery. Because it is not freedom bringing it into the light is true freedom so there's that first claim the claim that sin doesn't matter it does matter but there's another claim as we look at verse 8 if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we claim to be without sin this claim is what i do isn't sin? What I do isn't sin. This claim downplays sin to the point where they claim they're not sinning. Now this happens all the time. So we tell little white lies, which don't really count as lying, do they? It's not lying; it's just a little white lie. Or we we borrow office stationery. It's not really stealing because I'm borrowing it from the office even though I've not told anybody. I'm not committing adultery if I look at pornography. It's just natural. It doesn't hurt anybody. You see, we can we, we justify our sin by making excuses. So, uh, I was driven to anger by my spouse, or by my children, or by my work colleague. I was driven to it. It wasn't my fault. It, they drove me to it. It's not really sin if I'm driven to anger, is it? And so the claim that we are sinners is resented because the word sinner is reserved for murderers and child abusers. And such like. But John again calls people who claim this liars. But they lie to themselves. He says if you claim to be without sin, if you call it something else, like my little white lie is just, it's not really a sin. He says you're deceiving yourself. And the truth isn't in you. Now if I believed this claim... Which from you know, we, we do from time to time, don't we? I'm deceiving myself. I'm not deceiving you, because if I told you a white lie and you found out, you wouldn't say, oh, it was just a white lie. You would say, Steve, you've lied to me. If I just did what was natural and, and go on the internet and look at as much pornography as I wanted and so it doesn't hurt anybody, well, when my spouse finds out, it's a sin. She's not going to say, oh, well, yeah, that's fine. It's just perfectly natural. And she's devastated, yes? I'm deceiving myself. I'm not deceiving my spouse. If I borrow a stationery from the office and it's just disappearing and the stock manager finds out, and you go up to him and say, well, I was just borrowing it, he's going to say, no, you've stolen it. You're deceiving yourself. Nobody else is deceived. And it's interesting, isn't it, that other people can tell your sin far better sometimes than you can. If I was to stand up in here and say, I don't, well, I don't struggle with sin... If you were honest, most of you could stand up and point out loads of stuff. Certainly if you couldn't, my, my family could. I could deceive myself, but they're not tricked into thinking I'm perfect. But we do this all the time. And John says that it, and if we claim this, not only are we deceiving ourselves, the truth isn't even in us. Now, now God is light, but God is also truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. So if God is truth, John's saying here that God isn't even in you. You're not, you're not a Christian if you're saying these things. If you're, if, you're, if you're saying that you don't struggle with sin, if the things you do aren't sin, the truth isn't even in you. In other words, if you claim you're without sin, you cannot claim to have fellowship with the God who is light and truth. Now all of us want to downplay our sin. All of us deceive ourselves, don't we? Have you never claimed that it wasn't my fault? Or that it's not really very wrong, is it, if I do this? How do we counter the lie? Well, verse 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, the word confess is how we know that in verse 8, when they were claiming to be without sin, what that means is, what I do isn't really sin. Because the word confess literally means, I agree with God. So you're calling sin what it is. You're calling sin what it is. So when I tell what is deceitfully called a white lie, I come to God without excuses and I say to God, I have lied and I am a liar. It's calling sin what it is. When I borrow something from the office and I come to God, I don't say to God, well I was just borrowing it. No, I come to God and confessing it means, God, I have stolen I am sorry, I'm a thief. When we have, have, have fallen into uh, sexual sin, we don't come to God and make excuses. We say, God, I've, I've committed adultery. I'm, adulter- I'm an adulterer. And we name it. We tell God what we've done. And we don't make excuses and say, well, God, I, yeah, I did lie, but I had to because of this situation. Or I did get really angry with my spouse, but have you not seen what they do? No excuses when we confess our sin to God. Confessing means we call it what it is. We don't pretend it's something else. And if we do that, what does does it say? It's wonderful, isn't it? He is faithful and just. Faithful means that he's trustworthy in what he says. And just means he's right in what he does. Faithful means he's trustworthy in what he says. Just means he's right in what he does, like legally. And because Jesus, as we saw in the previous verses, has shed his blood to forgive us of our sins, Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, God is faithful because he does what he says he will do. Jesus died so that we can be forgiven, and because God is faithful when we confess our sin, he forgives us because he says he will. And he's faithful. But also, he's just. That means he's right to forgive us our sin. But it's stronger even than that. It means that God has to forgive us our sin. He's bound legally to forgive us our sin. Why is that? Because Jesus has died to pay the penalty for it. If you have a mortgage and you've paid the mortgage off, the bank doesn't come to you and say, well, you need to just keep paying us. It's been paid. And when you finished your mortgage, I used to work in a, a redemptions department. Redeemed means it's paid for. The mortgage is done. And that's a Bible word as well. It means we've been bought. Jesus has died. It's been paid for. So when we come to God and confess our sin, he is bound to forgive us. Because it's been paid for. It would be unjust if God was to ask us for more. He is faithful. He does what he says and he is just. He has to forgive us because Jesus has died for it. But he does so if we confess. He does not forgive us if we come to God and pretend it's something else or call it something else or make excuses. If we call sin what it is, he forgives us of our sin and purifies us. There's that word again. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Not just part of it. Not just most of it. All unrighteousness. And that means that there's nothing that we have done No sin that we've committed that is so bad that God cannot forgive. All unrighteousness, everything has been paid for at the cross by Jesus. But confession, we can find it so hard, can't we? We can find it hard to name what it is we've done. But again, we carry the burden of it if we don't. It's a burden to deceive ourselves, just like it's a burden to deceive everyone else. But we come to God and name it what it is, call sin what sin is. And friends, the burden is lifted, it really is. We give it to Jesus and he takes that, that, that burden, that guilt and he washes us of our sin. We're cleansed, purified from whatever it is we've done. In the book of James, he tells us also to confess our sins to one another. This uh, doesn't mean we need public confessionals, but it does mean we must be, first of all, serious about walking in the light and getting help from one another when we need it. But also it means that when you apologise to somebody, don't make excuses. If you've lied to somebody, go and just say to them, look, I've lied to you and I'm sorry and I need your forgiveness. In our homes, uh, with, with our families... Call sin what it is when you're saying sorry. Don't make excuses. That's what confession is. It's agreeing with God what sin is. Don't claim that it's not really a sin. Don't claim that well, I don't it's not I'm not really a sinner. It's a lie, you deceive yourself, and it's a burden that you need to get rid of. Well, the final claim is one which is another common way of trying to deal with sin. Look at verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him a liar, act to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Now this seems very similar, doesn't it, to uh, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin. But this is a little bit further. It's almost a spiral where it gets worse. These people aren't downplaying sin, like those that won't confess it, these people are saying something very different. They're claiming, I am always right. There was a fridge magnet that someone uh, I know uh, has that says, uh, when I married Mr. Right, I didn't realise his name was always. And that's what these people are like. They're claiming, I do not sin. I never sin. I'm always right. Now you may uh, never say, well, I've never done anything wrong, but we can always uh, we often think that we're right all the time. Don't we? Now these people could not admit they'd done anything wrong. So in order to get over this, this barrier of sin, over this high mark, they would just say, oh, well, it's not, I haven't got a problem with it. I am righteous. I am right. I don't sin. There's an arrogance among these people. And I wonder, does does this describe you? Does this describe you? Do you always have to be Right? Can you never admit that you're wrong? Then you are doing what these people here are doing. You're claiming to be without sin. Have you always got to be right? Well, John says that if we claim that we're always right, it's not us lying as much as it's calling God a liar. Now, in a sense, the reason that it says here that you make him out to be a liar is because you actually, if you believe this and you think you're always right, you don't think you're lying when you say it. You genuinely think you're always right. So you're not lying in a sense, but you are saying God is a liar. Why? Because God says very differently. All through the Bible, God clearly says you have sinned. Listen to some of these verses. Let them sink in, especially if you struggle with being wrong. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46. There is no one without sin. Psalm 14, verse 3. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Romans, chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word, glory of God, is, is that standard, it's that, that, that high bar, isn't it? We've all fallen short and we will never meet it. These verses are God telling us that we have sinned, and so when we say, I haven't sinned, I'm always right, we're calling God a liar. We're saying, These verses aren't true. I don't struggle with sin, I am right. Well, he says, if that's the case, his word is not in us. The word of God is another name for Jesus. In other words, like the other claims, if you claim this, you do not have fellowship with God. You are not his child. He is not in you. It's serious stuff. John doesn't mess around here. If you are saying any of these claims, he's saying you're a liar. He's saying you're a deceiver. He's saying his word is not in you. Strong stuff. There's no messing around here with John. And as we reach the end of this chapter, certainly I have to, like I, let me confess to you, I've, when I read this, I was hit with my sin. Hit with my sin. Because when you look at God, and you see how wonderful and glorious he is, and focus on, on his holiness, how can you make these claims? How can you do that? And this week, as looking at this passage, it's like you know feeling beat up, because if we're honest with ourselves, we know that these things aren't true. You know it's not true. You know as you look at God, that you are a sinner, and you need to walk in the light. You need that blood of Jesus, you need that forgiveness from sin as we reach the end of this chapter, we could feel beat up by John. And in a sense, I hope that's the case. Because I hope that as we've looked at the God who is light, we're exposed for who we really are and that we are in no doubt that we are sinners. But why does John do this? Why is it that he hits us again and again and again with this word about sin? We'll look at the first part of chapter 2 and verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Notice the affection here that John has for the people he's writing to. He calls them dear children. At this point, John is an elderly man. He's writing to his, his dear children, his, the church who he loves. And he sees them as his children. And he wants the best for his children. And so he sees that there's a problem in the church. People are making these claims. And and the church is getting confused and and, and, and he's, he wants to help. And so he comes to his dear children and he gives them some tough medicine. And he does it so that they will not sin. When I was a child at school, I remember that they used to show us videos uh, to shock us sometimes. When they were videos to do with stranger danger, not touching matches, wearing a bike helmet and wearing a seatbelt. I remember those four specifically, they were shocking videos, especially because we were at primary school, we were only little children, and we saw these shocking videos and they were horrible. But why did they show us the videos? Because we were children and we needed the shock of seeing how serious these things are so that we would put on our helmets that we would be careful with matches, that we wouldn't speak to strangers, that we would put on our seatbelts. John is saying sin is so serious that we can't just carry on with it, so I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to tell you what you are doing when you are making these claims. You are lying and deceiving and you can't claim to be a follower of Jesus when you're doing it. But John wonderfully doesn't leave us knocked out on the floor. He tells us that the blood of Jesus' his son purifies us from all sin. He tells us that if we confess it to God and we name it for what it is, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sin. He doesn't leave us knocked out on the floor, feeling terrible for our sin. There's a time for the guilt. There's a time for the shame, but we take that to Jesus. And he cleans us completely from all unrighteousness. And that's why John writes it, so that we will do that and not sin. We'll see later on that that goes even further. It's developed to saying that we, uh, not only do we uh, uh, need to confess our sin and, and, and do all those things, but we need to live out the Christian life with obedience to the commands of God and not sin. John develops that further, but he's writing this for our good as dear children. Next week, we'll see how John goes more into what we do when we sin. The ultimate counterclaim for chapter 1 verse 10 is found in chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. We'll look at that next week, focusing on what Christ has done on the cross. But in verses 7 and 9, John has said we must walk in the light. Open and sincere lives, not hiding sin away, not lowering the mark so that we don't miss it. That mark cannot be lowered. The high jump world record may well be broken, but God's standard will never be lowered. But He sent Jesus to get us there through forgiveness of sin and cleansing. So before we sing, let's have just a time of silent prayer where we confess our sin to God. And we respond to these words that John writes. And then after uh, a a moment of silence, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing in response to what we have been hearing. So let's just have a, a moment of silence as we pray and think on these things. Father, we thank you that you do not hide the truth about sin. We thank you, Lord, that it's by grace that you show us our sin. It's by grace that you expose us for who we are, for then we know where we need to go. We need to come to Jesus. I pray for all of us here this morning that we would walk in the light as you are in the light I pray that we would not hide our sin away, but seek help from you and from one another. I pray that we would be forgiving as you are forgiving, but that we would confess and call sin what it is to one another, as well as to you. And we thank you, our Father, that Jesus has purified us from all sin. Father, perhaps there are ones here today that have never confessed sin to you. Lord, thank you that your light has been shone this morning. And I pray that they also would give their hearts to you, confessing sin and wanting to come into the light. We praise you, our Father, for your amazing grace. We do not deserve to be cleansed from our sin. We don't understand why you do not just leave us in our sin, but we praise you, our Father for showing us it by your grace, but showing us the remedy, showing us Jesus. And Father, as we come to sing, we want to praise you now. We want to thank you for the cleansing blood of Jesus and to meditate that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And rather than be ashamed in it and running away from it and hiding from it, we come into it and we just